vihodila, piesu zavodila, prastepnava sizarla, pratavo katorva lubila, pratavo cipisma beregla, pratavo katorva lubila, pratavo cipisma beregla. Hello everyone, this is Christian Basar with another episode of the Historical Thoughts and Interpretations podcast. The introduction to this episode was the song Katyusha, sung by the Russian singer Varvara. And so I kind of uh, stole a little bit of her thunder and faded my own voice in singing the rest of that uh, part of the song. Not sure if that was a feature or a bug of this episode, but uh, <laughs> I'll leave that up to you and your opinion. So that song, Katyusha, is a very popular song in Russia. It's a, it's a World War II song, but also kind of a kind of a love song, too, which is uh, basic, the basic premise of the song is this lady named Katyusha um, is, a, is walking along the riverbank, and there's flowers blooming, and she has letters from the soldier that she loves who is fighting against the, um, the fascist hordes that are invading the Soviet Union. And, um, and she's singing the song and she's sending greetings to this, this soldier and let, let this song rise and give greetings to the soldier that I love and so on. So it's, a it happens to be one of my favorite, uh, Russian songs, if not, uh, uh one of my, uh, favorite songs of all time, actually. I love the tune and, and the words are nice and everything. Um, lately the song, uh, uh, has uh, sort of started to take over the, the position of uh, Katyusha uh, as my favorite uh, Russian song, perhaps, but um, I think Katyusha just is a classic. Uh, today, you'll hear Katyusha almost everywhere in Russia. I, when I was uh, in that country for the 2018 World Cup, you heard uh, people sing it, like Russian soccer fans singing it in the streets. Uh, it was also this, actually, that very version uh, that was uh, sung by Vavara was played at the um, at the football stadium in Saransk when I was there watching uh, Tunisia and Panama play. And so it was during the intermission, of course. Um, so it's a very popular song. And in fact, according to Tas, it was uh, suggested that the this song, Katyusha, would be played instead of the Russian national anthem <laughs> at future uh, worldwide or IOC um, sports events. So, very interesting. So, but I'm not talking about that Katyusha. I'm not talking about that Katyusha. Not the song. Uh, by the way, if... Uh, if uh, if you're unaware, Katyusha is essentially the diminutive or the the pet name form of, uh, uh, of the name Yekaterina or Catherine. So Yekaterina in Russian, Catherine in English, and so then you take that while you'd go Yekaterina would be uh, Katya, and then. Katyusha. So, so Katyusha is just a little, little cute form of the name Yekaterina. Perhaps maybe like calling, uh, I've also heard it as well, calling somebody who's named Catherine, calling somebody named Catherine Little Kate or Katie, something like that. Uh, but again, this is not about, uh, about the song <laughs> or the names. Uh, so this is about the so-called Katyusha um, rocket launchers systems. Uh, which were used during World War II, or as in Russia, called the Great Patriotic War. And since we're talking about names, we should talk about the names the Germans had for for these systems. They called them Stalin organs. These systems are kind of a personal interest of mine. Um, well, for one thing, these all these are. They're simple rocket launchers, rocket launcher systems, mounted on on a truck. Or various vehicles, uh, usually trucks. Though they're mostly associated with trucks, but I'll go into a little bit more detail about um, the individual, the various um, vehicles these things were mounted on. But mostly, uh, it was just truck with uh, either Soviet-made or Western-made, and the rails were put on there, uh, put on this truck, and then it would launch rocket artillery at the enemy. So, for for me, it's it's kind of an interesting system because it's so simple. It's just a truck. 
with uh, with the rocket system. And they were, uh, so this fairly versatile. There were many different versions. Uh, it was fairly simple, and it was also very effective. It was uh, proved various, uh, very useful at the Battle of Moscow, and uh, and in also when the Red Army pushed pushed back, and so this made there was a very mobile system. The other things that so it's just an interesting weapon system, but also I find it uh, it's kind of interesting to me on a personal level because I actually have a relative named um, Kata. And this is kind of a, a similar form. It's kind of interesting where it's uh, it's kind of a, another form of a, a little Kate, of, not in Russian, but in uh, Croatian. And so there's a little bit of a connection there. But also, uh, this was the name of my first car. So <laughs> you're getting a little bit more bi- biography in, in, the, uh, in the, your host here. But the my first car was a 1992 Burgundy Dodge Caravan. And you know, it's I've had I'd had this car for for a few years, and after a little while, I was kind of thinking about naming it. You know, you name a dog, you name a cat, something like this. And you know, this is my first car, and it was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And then after a few years, after a little while, and thinking about it, I was relatively new to Russian language studies at the time, and I thought, ah, what about Katusha? It's kind of a cute name, and uh, why not? So then it kind of stuck. Unfortunately, I think it was a few months after I named it, uh, the transmission started leaking, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't really a viable machine anymore. <laughs> so uh, I'm not a superstitious guy, but um, you know, make sure when you name a vehicle, give it lots of thought. So I just want to go briefly over the creation of the rocket systems. So the Rocket technology was experimented with in the interwar years by Nikolai Ivanovich Tichomorov and others in the gas dynamic laboratory. And this led to the creation of the Rakhetny Snaryad, or rocket missile projectiles. And from this came the RS-82 and RS-132, originally for aircraft. And then these rockets became the basis for the Katyusha land-based rocket system. These uh, these things were fairly simple. It's just a rocket used on the ground to fire at other ground targets. One problem is it is inaccurate. And so uh, many of the different variations of the Katyusha systems, it wasn't just... Uh, Katyusha was used... Uh, the word Katyusha was used as a uh, an overarching term to cover all of the... Uh, all of the various systems and modifications, but it was, you know, it just wasn't one system and only one variant. It was, was, there were many different uh, modifications that were made. And a lot of these were used to address range and um, especially accuracy and and firepower, of course. Soviet scientists started developing ground-based rocket launcher systems in 1936. And in 1938... They, this was when they created a truck-mounted launcher for, for the, what they call the M13 rocket. So the M13 was 132-millimeter uh, caliber or width. And again, this was uh, based on the RS-132 air-to-ground rocket. And, uh, but it had a longer range than the air-to-ground rocket, and so just around 8.5 kilometers. The first weapons, first launching system, uh, developing a, along alongside the rockets, was the MU-1 or the mechanized installation first pattern, or in Russian it would be MU-1, Mechanizovania Ustanovka Pierwi Obrazits. So the MU Adin or MU1 was put on a ZIS or ZIS five truck. And so there were some disadvantages to this, of course. And so th- this is, of course, a first variant. So the MU-1 had had a bit of a problem with itself. So it was side-launched. It was launched pointing tw- out of the side of the vehicle. And so this made it inaccurate. So for, for one, so for example, if you have uh, a truck facing north, you have the rocket launcher, say, facing west. 
and then you fire a rocket, the blowback will rock your vehicle a little bit. And so then if you fire all these rockets like many times, like one, two, three, four, five, six, the blowback from from one of these rockets will kind of rock your vehicle and will throw off the rest of the rockets you want to fire if you're firing it in a salvo. Um, so this makes it um, inaccurate. And of course, these are unguided rockets. You know, these aren't, uh, uh, these aren't tow missiles that we have today. And also, because they're side-launched, this makes the rocket fireable only in one direction. You can't, you can't, you couldn't turn it. Um, and also, reloading was done from the front of the racks. By the way, there were 24 rocket rails. And so the reloading was done from the front, so this made it cumbersome. And also, in addition to the blowback, like when you fire a rocket and it rocks your vehicle back and forth, it, sometimes the exhaust could damage the vehicle. So this is a this is another another problem. Then came the MU2 or the MU2. So the this one had some significant improvements. For example, the launcher was fa made to face the same direction that the that the vehicle was pointing or the vehicle was facing rather. And so this eliminated the problem of the side launching and therefore the uh, consequent um, uh, inaccuracy. And so, and also there were longer rails, allowing it, allowing the rocket to travel, be guided longer along its flight. Even if it's just for, you know, a few inches or a few feet, it's still guided a little longer. So it's able to be more accurate. According to Rasiskaya Gazeta's uh, section on military equipment, the, the first systems the MU-1, they had, the, the rails had a length of two and a half meters, but the MU-2's launching rails, they were five meters long. So this created, this gave uh, extra two and a half meters of, of guiding rail. This system had other improvements, including cab windows with shutters that could be closed to protect the windows and the crew compartment from exhaust damage. Also, there was an artillery site and also it could be loaded with two rockets per rack, making the system more efficient and less and more compact. And also it could be loaded from the back. So you didn't have to go all the way to the front and load it from the front uh, from a height, you could just load it from the back. And uh, so this system, the MU-2 or the MU-2 was renamed the BM-13. And BM-13 is the English translation of the BM-13, or the Boyevoya Machina 13. <laughs> Boyevoya Machina is War Machine. So basically this is saying War Machine 13. So now I want to go into designations. Like I said, there were various uh, versions of Katusha rocket launching systems. So you have the BM-13, which was the basic machine. But then you also have another number, indicating the number of rockets. So you had um, you had a few. So so I just want to break this down. So you always had BM Boyevaya Machina, or in English BM. Then you the second number is the size of the rocket diameter in centimeters. So the BM thirteen. This was the war machine that launched thirteen uh, centimeter wide rockets. And then you have a second number, the third part of the designation which is, indicates the number of rockets on that particular system. So you could have, for example, BM-13-12, or in Russian, BM-13-12. So BM-13-12 means a launcher that launches rockets that are 13 centimeters wide, and they have 12 rockets on the system. You had other ones too. You had BM-13-12, which I just mentioned, and you also have bm 8 48. So this is a launcher that fires rockets that are 8 centimeters wide, but it fires 48 rockets in the system. So, and you had salvos of various types, you know, I'll go into those variants later on. But you have uh, salvos of 4, 12, 16, 24, 30, 36, 48, and even as much as 60. So this is how um, this is, uh, these are the types of variants. These are how you identify them. So by looking at the name of the system, uh, you get to see how big the rocket was that it fired and also how many rockets were on that system.
what about the uses? So, of course, it's a rocket launching system. So, these were best used against unprotected targets, such as infantry. If there is a massed target, if there's a, an enemy encampment, or if there's a, a, a column of infantry marching on a, a, trying to cross a field, this is the best target for a Katusha rocket system. Because remember, I mentioned that rocket, the rockets aren't completely accurate. And of course, these are unguided. You're, it's a fire and forget system, essentially. So the lack of accuracy is not as much of a problem here. You're not trying to take out one building here. You're not trying to destroy one bunker. Best used as an area of effect weapon against multiple targets massed in one area. And now, there, there, were, there were instances, there were some rockets that were used... Um, in that could be used uh, in direct fire, including against against tanks, actually, and later rockets like the M30 or the M31, which is uh, a rocket that is uh, 30 centimeters or 31 centimeters wide. These were very destructive, so these could be used in direct fire. But mostly, when you're talking about Katusha rocket systems, you're talking about massive a massive salvo of rockets across a massive area. As the Katusha became to be used more and more, uh, at first they were kind of used not not so organized and not in such an organized manner. So actually there was a, a document from the Soviet military command by the Stavka. This was Directive 002490. This directive was called To the Commanding Officers of Fronts and Armies on the Methods of Using Rocket Artillery. The document noted the Katusha's effectiveness, but especially in, ma quote, massed and well-prepared fire of a division of M8 and M13 uh, rocket launchers. So it talked about the Katusha's providing, a, quote, exceptionally better way to defeat the enemy and simultaneously rendered the strongest morale shock to his manpower, leading to the loss of his fighting capability. So this directive has this wording here. Due to the fact that the M8 and M13 war machines are underestimated by our squadron commanders and often used absolutely incorrectly, the Stavka of the Supreme Command orders. And then it goes into the following, talking more about the uh, small firing upon small individual targets is, quote, categorically forbidden. The directive also identified clusters of infantry, motorized units, tanks, artillery, and ferry crossings as uh, permissible Katusha targets. The document also gave some more detailed instructions, such as, quote, at the onset or during the counterattack of the enemy, when the enemy infantry are preparing to attack. And when the vehicles, tanks, and motor vehicles are withdrawing from cover into an open area, this was when the document prescribed mass fire from M8 and M13 Katusha rocket launchers. And also, uh, they, were, they were ordered to be used for supporting a Soviet attack, and so to pierce uh, the enemy defenses. In all conditions, the Katushas were ordered to strike enemy ferries and narrow defiles with M8s and M13s. So once the enemy, once a massed German enemy is in a, a kill zone, that was when the Katushas were able to be used. And so, again, they were not to be used upon individual installations, but, quote, upon whole divisions wherein there's a categorical prohibition of a sighting round from an M8 or an M13, and it is strongly recommended to carry out an adjustment with regimental guns. So this last point points to the importance they put on the Katusha system. See, here they are. They're saying... Don't fire a rocket to judge where judge your um, artillery targeting. Uh, don't use a sighting round. Use the data coming from the regimental guns and use that data and then fire. Don't tell the don't show the Germans where you are. They will know where you are, but make sure that when you fire, you're doing as much damage as possible. Don't fire one or two rockets just to sight and see if your rounds are going to hit. Find out where you're firing at, and then massive attack. And also, the very last point, all M8 and M13 war machines, this is from quoting from the directive, are to be considered modern secret machinery of the Red Army. Therefore, these machines and their ammunition, in any case, must not end up in enemy hands. These machines, in all combat conditions, must be deployed constantly under reliable ground cover. Responsibility for the protection of this secret lies upon the front and army commanders.
So this is a pretty important document showing that here, the Katushas are not being used correctly. We need to use them correctly, use them in this way, and this is secret. Make sure that none of this ends up in German hands. So I already mentioned some problems with the rockets, such as with the MU-1 system, but there were this some of those problems were persistent throughout the Katusha development. Um, for example, with the BM-13, you could fire the rockets in a sal salvo, but the rockets had to be fired in sequence, so one after another. It wasn't just all at once. And of course, with the rockets, accuracy and stability were always a problem. You could adjust this by causing the uh, rocket to spin. So this is the analogous to uh, rifling, which was developed a few centuries ago in um, uh, when it came to firearms. So what the rifling does is it spins the bullet and it makes it much more accurate. Uh, so what they could, what the what they did do with the Katusha systems, they would have systems that would make the rocket spin a little bit. So this would increase the accuracy. So there were two ways that a, a, an individual rocket design could cause, could induce spinning to increase the accuracy. One way was to add spiral guide rods onto the launching system itself. So this is very akin to the rifling on a gun. So this could increase accuracy up to about three times, depending on the rocket model. Another way was shooting out gases through tubes on the rocket, much like thrusters. You know, I see on science fiction shows, you see thrusters, they, on modern, modern uh, spacecraft like space shuttles, they shoot gas out, so to push the rocket, or, or to push the uh, spaceship into a different direction. So the rockets did this too, almost like a way of just kind of making, making that spin happen. So unfortunately, this the spinning could reduce the range a little bit, but it it could increase your accuracy. And also, I've mentioned before, uh, had the length of rails where the MU two had longer rails than the MU one by two point five meters. And also, you could put on uh, jacks to stabilize the vehicle as well. So this made the vehicle more stable, so it didn't rock so much as rockets were being fired. And uh, another problem, of course, is range. We want to be able to hit the uh, enemy from a long distance. And also there is the issue of firepower. How much explosive can we pack into a rocket? And then another issue, the fourth issue, is destruction. So not the, this is different from firepower. I'm not talking about the power of an actual rocket. I'm talking about the area of destruction. Remember that the Katusha system was best used against uh, a mass, a mass group of enemies or a mass installation. Uh, like wide, somewhere with a wide area, not just one target. So when you're talking about destruction, if you have your target area is say, let, let's just say half a kilometer wide, you want to make sure that everything in that half kilometer is affected. So the problem is this is closely tied to the issue of accuracy. The problem is when you have rockets being fired, you're going to have a dispersion of rockets. They're, they're going to be spread out. So this can actually create pockets of safety. So maybe one area will be really devastated by rocket fire, while some areas in between areas of devastation will be fine or relatively untouched. So this, this was an issue that, uh, again, was tied with accuracy. But these issues, accuracy, range, firepower, and destruction, were uh, problems with, um, with the Katusha systems that various rockets and various launchers and various platforms tried to, uh, tried to address. So what about rocket variations? So I talked about the M13 rocket, again, 13 centimeters in diameter with about five kilograms of explosives and it had a range of eight and a half kilometers. The problem was, you know, this was a new, this was the first rocket uh, used on a Katusha type system. So there were problems with range, power, the firepower and accuracy. And then later came the M13DD. Um, which had two rocket motors, and it was quite a bit longer range, 11.8 kilometers. And this was introduced in late 1944. The problem is that it was heavy, and it did have spinning, but <laughs> this damaged the launch rail sometimes. So uh, so this was a bit of a problem. Uh, another uh, rocket was the M8, which was an 8-centimeter wide rocket. Uh, this had a shorter range, 5.5 kilometers, 
And it came in different models. BM-824, so again, 24 rockets, 36 rockets, and 48. So, so the advantage to this one, even though it was smaller and had much less explosives, but the thing was that it was smaller so you could fire more at once from one launcher. This helped create more, more, even, more even destruction. Uh, less safe areas in a target area than with the M13 rockets. And then we had some rockets which were a bit bigger, like the M20, 20 centimeters in diameter. It had 18.4 kilograms of explosives. And this one was used from 1942 to mid-1944. It had a range of 5 kilometers. But the problem was that it was heavy, and it also didn't have as much of a fragmentation effect. So, again, when something explodes, you want a bit of a fragmentation effect to to cause more damage. This one didn't have that effect so much. And then you got into the big rockets, the M30s and the M31s. So M30 being 30 centimeters in diameter and the M31 being 31 centimeters in diameter. So the M30 was a bit different than the others. This one wasn't launched from a truck. This one was immobile. This The rockets were actually fired from the boxes they came in. This was similar to the German technique. Uh, when the Germans had their own rocket systems, they sometimes did this as well, launching directly from the box or the crate that they came in. The problem is that this was a frame. It, they weren't rails. They, so you didn't have that long guiding effect of the rails. Um, and it was also slow to move. It was a heavy frame. It was slow to reload. And it was also fairly inaccurate because, again, there's no guiding rail. that's just being shot out of a box. So essentially, it's more of a rocket mortar in a way. And uh, there was no spin. So it was fairly inaccurate and also it only had a range of 2.8 kilometers. However, it was very heavy and it was very destructive. Very similar to this was the M31. Um, again, a bit of a bigger rocket by one centimeter, uh, which was introduced in late 1942. This one had a range of about 4.3 kilometers and it was good against um, bunkers and other heavily fortified targets. In connection with this was the BM-3112. This, this one was on a truck, and it was all, so again, it was heavy, uh, but it was had better, safer loading, and it had a new ignition system, and it had a locking mechanism in order to keep the rocket secured. It wasn't a simple box or a crate system. Um, so it was used, be able to, able to be used on trucks. Um, this one, the BM-3112, like I've said, Katyusha was used as uh, a name for um, a general rocket system, but this one was called the Andrusha, and um, that's that was its name, and it had a different nickname called the Luca, or Luke. So one thing about the M30 and the M31 rockets is their firepower, of course, because they had 29 kilograms of explosives. They could create a crater that was seven to eight meters wide and two to two and a half meters deep. And it could destroy a brick wall 75 centimeters thick. One very interesting rocket, it was the M28, improvised during the siege of Leningrad, and it was introduced in May 1942. This one, again, was launched from a wooden or a metal frame. The wooden frames could carry uh, two rockets, the metal ones four. And it was actually, um, again, similar to the M30, it was fired from a box frame. So, again, copying from the German technique of doing so as well. This rocket wasn't very long-ranged, 3 kilometers, but it had 45.4 kilograms of explosives. So this was a huge rocket. Huge rocket. So that's what I find fascinating about the Katyusha rocket systems is that they are the same basic concept. You have a you have a vehicle, or in the case of the M30 and the M28, for example, you have it launching from a from a box or a crate. Uh, but you have the same basic idea. You have a position or a vehicle, and it launches some rockets, and so you have a rail and a launching system, and there you go. You can modify the system whichever way you want, or whichever way you need, rather, to address an issue with range or firepower, make a new rocket with more explosives in the warhead, you know, all these kinds of things. So it's a very interesting system in that way. Same basic system, but many different modifications. 
But what's important to remember is that the BM-13 was the standard Katusha system, and there was even a version of this called the BM-13N, or the normalized version. And the normalized version was was made in such a way that it could be used on any truck that, that it was fitted on. And that was what I'll go into next, platforms. So the Katusha rocket launching system was fairly adaptable. Not only was it able to be modified for different purposes, different uh, types of rockets, and with different uh, features such as spinning to increase accuracy and so on, it was also able to be used on different types of vehicles, or I will say platforms. One of the platforms was a tracked vehicle. One of these was the STZ-5 tractor. So this was introduced in the fall of 1941, and so this kind of compensate this was helpful in a way of use because there was a lack of if there was a lack of cross-country vehicles right so a tracked vehicle was able to get across the country a bit more easily than say a zis truck and also what's interesting about the tractor is that it was able to lower its launch missile launching system to a zero degree angle so in that way it was able to fire almost like pretty much directly forward able to shoot at the ground level so this was this allowed the tractor crew to fire directly at a target. Like I mentioned, the tractor was good for cross-country movement, but also it was very slow. The tractor could only go at about 22 kilometers per hour. So this is very slow. And by the time the Soviet Union was accepting Western trucks for under the Lend-Lease program, these Western trucks were not too bad at going across going across country. So the tracked platform wasn't as as necessary. What is interesting in the research that I did for this podcast, I found that the tractor was still able to be used to make a small tank with cannibalized or scavenged armor and weapons. Aside from the tractors, though, the Katusha systems were also put on T-40 and T-60 light tanks, specifically the BM-824 launching systems, and these were used at the Battle of Stalingrad. The most common platform for the Katusha rocket system was the truck. As I mentioned before, the ZIS Soviet truck was a, was a platform, and as I also just mentioned, Western trucks during the Lend-Lease program, uh, such as GMCs, General Motors, Fords, Studebakers, and Chevrolets. Um, and again, like I said, these were good for cross-country, again, re- replacing the need for a tracked vehicle. So, and again, I... I think it's an important enough point to mention again. I mentioned the that the BM-13 launcher became the standard Katusha system, but also there was the normalized uh, system that was originally used on Studeb- Western-made Studebaker trucks, but then it was able to be used on any, any other trucks, so they didn't have to make a special modification to attach it to a different truck. They just used the same weapon system and just, just attach it to any truck that they had. And this was, again, the BM-13N, or the BM-13 normalized. So just uh, uh, showing an advantage of the truck over the tractor, uh, the speed of the ZIS-6 truck, the Soviet truck, again, could move at about 55 kilometers per hour, more than twice the speed of the STZ-5 tractor. A third way of launching the Katusha rockets was a stationary from a stationary platform. For example, the M30, which I mentioned earlier, which was based on the practice, the German practice of firing rockets from the crates that they came in. There was also the so-called Mountain Katusha, which fired M8 or 8 centimeter rockets. And this was man portable, put on two different types of platforms. One was a wheeled machine gun platform, or a three-piece platform with four legs. So this was the mountain Katusha. So if you were not able, if you had to put it on a mountain where it was just uh, impossible to put a truck, you could have a stationary system that could be transported by soldiers. Another type of platform for the Katusha rocket system was the train. There were trains called the Kozma Minin and Ilya Moromets, which, uh, and trains were able to use M13 and M8 launching systems. And these were armored trains that were used during the Battle of Moscow. 
I must confess that I only did a little bit of research on these armored trains, but the um, these trains were mostly used in support roles, or especially towards the end of the war, in used in defending uh, Soviet installations. But it makes sense why they would put a Katusha rocket system on a train that was meant for supporting Soviet troops. Uh, again, any kind of uh, our mass artillery system is good for any kind of a, a support or or um, attack uh, defending against a massive German attack. The fifth platform was the naval platform, which was based on the land version firing M13 type rockets. Um, these were somewhat small launchers, so they could they could only go on small ships and provide fire support for ground forces. For example, on the Project 1124 Cutter and on torpedo boats. So what were some of the advantages of the Katusha system? For one, it was the extremely long range, up to about 11 kilometers, at least for the uh, longer range variants of the M13 rockets. Uh, unfortunately, again, this was variable because some of the heavier rockets were much shorter ranged. But if you had the standard M13 rockets, you could get up to about 9 or 11 kilometers. So this is, this is fairly significant. Uh, also, speed was another factor, where rockets could go, again, varied, between 235 to 620 meters per second. This also combines with the salvo effect for where the BM-848 launcher, for example, could fire 48 rockets within 30 seconds. So not only is the rocket coming at the enemy very, very quickly, there's also a salvo. So there's going to be a lot of them. 48 rockets coming in within an area within 30 seconds. There's going to be no time to find cover. And the wailing sound of the rocket was psychologically stunning to the enemy as well. Uh, I am going to include a sound of, of this. According to one quote from a German officer, whoever has been under fire from a Stalin organ, the German name for the Katusha, will never forget it. It was hell. And another advantage, quick preparation. There was, it took about five minutes to load uh, some of the later Katusha systems. Remember, some of the earlier ones had to be loaded from the front, but the loading from the, the back was a lot easier. And between about five to ten minutes of total preparation time. And also, I've mentioned before, what kind of, what kind of platforms were these, these rockets put on? They were fairly easy to manufacture, a lot of times put on trucks, and again, like I said, also uh, tracked vehicles, trains, so they were a very versatile, very versatile system. And, you know, I'm certainly no engineer or anything, but I would imagine this would be fairly easy to manufacture. All it is is just a, a, a rack, um, a metal rack and with a firing mechanism and so on, so this is fairly easy to manufacture, and you already have trucks being used for cargo and so on, and so you could probably, I'm not sure exactly what kind of modifications these would have to would have to be done to put the firing system in and so on, but I would imagine it wouldn't take very long. And because these trucks were faster than tanks, they were able to change positions quickly. And also, one interesting thing about the about the missile racks was that they they were more durable because they you didn't need to replace the launching rails nearly as often as you would artillery gun bells, uh, barrels because artillery gun barrels are going to get very very hot and but these rails you're just launching a rocket from the rail they're not traveling inside the rail like an artillery shell is in a gun barrel so though that's a very interesting advantage and again if a katusha system gets broken or destroyed or breaks down you know, fairly easy to replace. All you need is a truck and, and another launching system. The disadvantage is it's easily seen because the rockets left behind trails so that if um, an enemy saw it or an enemy airplane saw it, they could be easily found and eventually destroyed. And also the, the trucks gave an advantage because they could travel cross country. They were faster than, uh, faster than tanks, but they were done for if caught 
<laughs> so um, they were done for if caught because the truck itself has no no armor, no uh, defensive weaponry or anything like that. So they're done for if caught. But, you know, this is generally true for artillery. So any kind of artillery needs to have protection from uh, the rest of the forces. So I want to talk a bit brief, very briefly about the Katusha's first engagement with the Nazi enemy. On uh, A unit of Katusha's was formed on June 28th, just a week after the start of Operation Barbarossa. And apparently the crews were only given four days of training on seven BM-13 systems. And the first combat mission took place on July 14th at Orsha. Orsha is in modern-day Belarus, about 500 kilometers away from Minsk. Orsha was a river port and rail junction, so this was a crucial strategic location. And this is, again, a perfect, perfect place for a perfect target for a Katusha system. It's a, you can use a mass artillery against an enemy in this area. And so there were two attacks on July 14th where the trains at against the train station at 3 p.m. for and this attack lasted for 15 to 20 minutes. And in uh, the second attack, the Nazis were crossing the were crossing the Orshitsa River just a few hours later. And then the uh, Katusha's attacked them then. Both attacks were were reported as being effective. One of them was panic in the enemy ranks. Volume of fire, fast attack was able to break the morale. And this is what the Directive 002490 of October 1941 was able to say, that it was very effective at breaking enemy morale. And so this is just an example of that. So again, this shows the effectiveness of massed artillery. When the enemy is crossing, if you are able to hit them where they are, uh, where they're crossing, it's a perfect place for it. Now that I've mentioned the first unit as well, I want to talk just a little bit about numbers. Notice how uh, they had four days of uh, training on the BM-13 uh, systems, and this was at the time when there was the chaos. You know, the, the Germans were, had been crossing the Soviet border, they had been um, really soundly defeating Soviet military, and so this was a hurried defense. But by 1945, there were Katyushas in 47 divisions, 40 independent brigades, 105 regiments of artillery. Altogether, there were more than 10,000 BM uh, systems created, systems built. And by the Battle of Berlin, at the very end of the European theater of World War II, about 1,000 Katusha rocket systems could fire 18,000 rockets in one salvo. So what about, what about secrecy? A lot when you when you talk about the Katusha systems, you hear a lot about the secrecy of it, um, and in fact, the directive also talked about um, this is supposed this system is to be considered modern military equipment, and a system or an ammunition in quote in any case must not end up in enemy hands. Um, these machines in all combat conditions must be deployed constantly under reliable ground cover. Responsibility for the protection of this secret lies upon the front and army commanders. So clearly, the Soviet military leadership, the Stavka, wanted to, did not want Katusha systems to end up in German hands. However, you know, there's something to consider too, that, and uh, a uh, military history website, topwar.ru, makes, makes a point about you know, this, this kind of uh, having, the Katusha having a special secret is a, it, the website suggests it's a little bit of a myth. And, you know, I could see this in a way because in the end, it's just a rail launch rocket system. And, you know, whether secret or not, the Germans were able to capture some BM-13 launchers and rockets. So, yes, it was considered to be a secret and it was a valuable system. So they didn't, the Soviets didn't want the Germans to get a hold of this, but... It still happened. The, the secret, according to the website, talked about the secret was in the technology of the rocket propulsion, the, the powder and the, and the fuel of the rocket. After all, the Germans had their own rocket uh, launching systems as well, uh, rocket artillery systems, which I'll talk about in a little minute. But so the, the Soviet smokeless nitroglycerin powder in the form of tubes or sticks these provided even thrust, uh, thus controlling fuel consumption. And the Germans had to create their own systems for 
um, as they couldn't replicate the Soviet technology for their own um, rocket engines. And it's worth mentioning here that the Germans were actually able to reproduce the M8 rocket at Czech factories starting in late 1943. And about other German rocket systems, there was the Nebelwerfer, which was um, uh, of a much larger caliber, 150 millimeters. And uh, it was known as the fog thrower or smoke mortar. Um, but the Soviet soldiers called it the Ishak, kind of uh, making fun of the supposed donkey-like sound that it made. So testing of the 150mm rocket system started in 1937. So the Nebelwerfer was actually a six-barreled rocket system mounted on a uh, pack AT anti-tank gun platform. And it could be, could be wheeled, it could be towed. And so this wasn't a vehicle of itself. It had to be towed or moved. The rails, it did have rails in it, but it was they were inside the each barrel. There were three rails inside each barrel, according to U.S. intelligence reports at the time. And so there were uh, there were no fins uh, of on the uh, Nebelwerfer uh, rockets, and so more than the. The, what was better about this than the Katusha rocket system was that the the jets on the Nebelwerfer rockets were able to compensate a bit more during flight. So this gave a, a little bit more accuracy at shorter ranges. So there was they were less reliant on initial rocket speed. So it could be used at shorter ranges than a Katusha system could. And also, of course, since this wasn't a vehicle, it was something that was, again, mounted on an anti-tank uh, gun mount. Uh, it was so it was much smaller, so it was easier to hide. So you could hide it in the bushes. You can't exactly do that with a with a big truck. And so this made a, uh, allowed the system to be more mobile as well. And it was also physically light. 515 kilograms unloaded, 770 kilograms loaded. So if you had a if you needed to move it by hand over short distances, if you had a crew that was able to do that, it, it was it was that was possible. And also, uh, a salvo lasted 10 seconds, and a reload took only about a minute and a half. So this was uh, this was a lot easier, a lot a much smaller system than the Katusha, so it was a lot easier to reload and move. The problem was that the jets expended energy, so it did have less range than rockets with stabilizing fins, like the Katusha. The Nebelwerfer had less range, about 6.7 to 6.8 kilometers. And also, the amount of smoke that the Nebelwerfer uh, put out when it fired, it made it easy to detect. And of course, it was reliant on towing vehicles. So the, the good thing is about the Katusha, if it needed to, or the BM-13, uh, the BM-8 and BM-13s, they could move if they had to. They didn't have to rely on hooking up to another truck and being towed. And also, of course, the Nebelwerfer could only, file, could only fire six rockets at a time, while the Katusha, as we've talked about before, could fire a lot more. And so as far as the performance of the Nebelwerfer, the dispersion of rockets at six kilometers was about um, 60 to 90 meters wide and 80 to 100 meters deep. With the small dispersion, they were used against small target areas. They, the, the Germans preferred to use them against small target areas. As far as numbers, there were about 5,283 uh, Nebelwerfers built and 5.5 million rockets. Nebelwerfers, like the Katusha, were, put, uh, were arranged by division or ba artillery battery, and they were placed at the front of Nazi lines and to break up attacks, uh, counter-offensive command points, and also support infantry in their own attacks. Uh, some of the operations that they were used in, they were used on the island of, of Crete, which was primarily an airborne invasion, and also against the Brest Fortress um, in 1941. And almost 3,000 rockets were fired upon the Brest Fortress. The Germans also had some rocket systems on vehicles, uh, so that could be placed on the Opel Maltier, uh, which was a half-track. And the Panzerwerfer 42 Alf SZ uh, had a crew of four, and it consisted of a rocket system having ten barrels in two rows. And this vehicle also had six to eight millimeters of anti-shrapnel armor and also had an MG-34 machine gun on it. About uh, 296 of these were built. 
this has the advantage over the Katusha, of course, having a bit more, uh, having an armament of its own. The Germans also had frame-launched systems, much like the Soviet M28. These German frame systems had uh, rockets of various sizes, 280 or 320 millimeters. And so they were placed on the battlefield. So this goes to the point that I talked about earlier, where a website where I was doing my research on this, topwar.ru, talked about, yes, the, the, there was some secrecy with the, how the rocket was made and how the propulsion was. But in the end, this is just like any other form of warfare, and I think this is also a very important point. Uh, I'll read a quote from the, uh, from the website. Quote, During the war, opposing sides repeatedly copied each other's vehicles and weapons. So the Katyusha system is no exception. The fact that the Germans were able to capture some Katyusha rocket systems and also place them on their own vehicles. They even placed uh, some uh, large caliber rockets on captured French vehicles, like the, Re like the Renault uh, U tractor and Hotchkiss tank as well. So there's, there's this, always this thing, whenever you're dealing with any kind of weapon system, somebody's going to copy the, what the enemy uses. If, the enemy, if your enemy uses it, you're going to try and copy it or capture an example of it and, uh, and, and improve on it or whatever. You know, I'm certainly no uh, ancient Roman uh, expert, but the, many of the Roman weapons were also uh, based on weapons that their enemies had. So it's, um, it's a very, very consistent lesson of warfare. You know, just because the Soviet uh, army may have something doesn't mean the Germans aren't going to use something very similar. Also, as it happens, the Americans had a, a system very similar to the uh, BM-8 and BM-13 Katusha systems. This was called the T-34 Calliope, not T-34 Soviet tank. T-34 Calliope. So this was simply a rocket system put on top of a Sherman tank. So this one had 60 rockets with uh, 114 millimeter M-8 rockets. Note here as well that this is not the same M8 rocket that the Soviet Union used on its BM-8 missile systems. Note here that the American M8 is 114 millimeters, not eight, not 80 millimeters like the Soviet one. The uh, what it seems to be is the American military seems to have this bad habit of always calling weapons M. M1, M1 grenade, M1 grand, M16, M8 rocket. <laughs> so, so that's the thing. So no, this is not the same M8 rocket that the uh, Soviet Union used on their BM8 rocket launching systems. And so there's a big advantage to this, of course, because 60 rockets, <laughs> don't need to explain that. Uh, and of course, same thing as the Katusha, break enemy morale, mass destruction. And each of these rockets was... 4.3 pounds or 1.95 kilograms of explosive power. Problem was with the Calliope, they couldn't use the Sherman's gun. So it was largely a defenseless vehicle, much like the uh, Katusha. Although, you know, being a tank, it had a bit more armor, but still, it couldn't really fight back. And also, the with this big rocket system on top of the tank, it also altered the center of gravity of the vehicle itself. So what about after World War II? I'll mention the BM-13N again, or the BM-13 Normalized. Remember, Normalized was the rocket system that was able to be put on any type of vehicle. So the BM-13N was used for decades after World War II, and it was sent abroad to Soviet Cold War clients as well. Some of the big advantages of uh, post-war Soviet uh, systems included uh, increased range, using launch tubes and not frames or rails, and also rockets with spinning. Uh, with spinning action to increase uh, stability. Um, so there were some examples. So I want to go into the RPU-14. So this was uh, placed on a divisional gun. So think a lot like the German Nebelwerfer. So it could fire 16 rockets that were of 140 millimeter caliber. And so this one had a range of 10, about 10 kilometers. It could be dropped, transported by vehicle, or even wheeled by a short distance. Perhaps one of the more famous ones is the BM-21 Grad, or Hail. This one was widely exported and to other countries, and about 11,000 of these were made. And there have been various versions of the BM-21 uh, since 1963. So it's a fairly simple machine. Again, like, a, uh, like the Katyusha, a um, 
rocket system on a truck, but again with tubes, not by rails. The caliber of about 122 millimeters, a high explosive, and it had, would have 40 rockets in them. And the, again, these were with tubes with spinning, spinning action to increase stability. Uh, range, um, depending on the rocket, could be from 20 to 40 kilometers. So one of the conflicts it was uh, first used in was um, in 1969 in the Soviet uh, Chinese skirmishes, and there have been and they've been used in many conflicts since then, such as um, Syria, Angola, Chechnya, and other places in Africa, and also in the war in Ukraine. There's even the BM-21. There's even the BM-21PD, which is an, an anti-submarine version, which can actually plunge under the water between 3 and 200 meters uh, under the water um, with about a 300 meter to 5 kilometer range. So this can be used against uh, submarines or even divers. And more recently, within the last few years, systems based on the BM-21 have been able to uh, be modernized with data transfer systems, fire control, satellite location, and navigation, only requiring a crew of three. There are other rocket systems, such as the 9P140 Uragan, or Hurricane, TOS-1A, designed for incendiary rockets, and the 9A252 Smersh Whirlwind. Again, the Katusha system, it's just rocket artillery, but... Rocket artillery is used, it was used by the Germans, it was used by the Americans as well, and it's still used today for the same purposes of overwhelming an area, launching from an attack from long range. So the same principles apply. This idea of a mass artillery attack, uh, long range, and also a bit of a wide dispersion of, of that area could lead to uh, being able to, to cause mass destruction as well. At the risk of sounding like a huge nerd, you know, if I may uh, use the quote from Fallout, the Fallout video game series, war never changes. So I want to end with this, which what, with what appears to be an excerpt from the Soviet journal Crocodile by Mikhail Zochenko about the Katusha. So I left uh, a little bit of it out and I modified some words a little bit, but here's the, here's the anecdote. Sometimes in the trenches, the gramophone was played, and the whole company, thanks to the amplifier, could hear the music. And even the Germans could hear our melodies. The soldiers especially loved Katusha. And the Germans also liked this song. They would applaud and even request this song to hear our hear it from our loud voices. Hey, Russian, do Katusha. We have not heard in a while. But here one soldier replied, It is not necessary to do that. We create a happy mood amongst ourselves. We give fun to these bastards who destroy our villages and cities, these villains and fiends who mercilessly kill our relatives, our brothers, our wives and children. And on another day, there was another Katusha brought to the front, and she made the Germans forget all other motives. Well, that's all for the podcast today. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you were able to enjoy the a bit of a nerd out session. This was a bit more of a, a specifically talking about a particular weapon system, not so much a, not so much about strategy and ideologies and stuff like that that I usually go into. This is a bit different than I'm usually used to doing, but uh, it was a little bit different, and I always like to have a little bit of variety in podcast content. Um, and I especially. Uh, want to uh, mention a particular source that I used that was very helpful in my research for this episode. A book by Jamie Pranat, Katusha, Russian Multiple Rocket Launchers, 1941 to the Present. This was an Osprey book in the New Vanguard series, New Vanguard 235. And uh, it's available on Amazon, on Kindle. So if you're interested in the system and want to learn more and have a bit more detailed reading, I would definitely recommend this book. 
Well, thank you very much for joining me on Historical Thoughts and Interpretations podcast. I'm your host, as always, Christian Bassar. And actually, as I'm recording this, this particular segment, uh, it is June 21st, 2021. And uh, I'm a few hours ahead, of course, of uh, Moscow time. But remember that in a few hours, it will be the 80th anniversary of oper- the start of Operation Barbarossa when these Katusha, very shortly after, these Katusha systems started to be used against the uh, Nazi army after it invaded the Soviet Union 80 years ago, almost today. It's a very important uh, historical date to remember. Definitely altered the course of World War II, definitely the course of history, I would argue, in many ways. So once again, thank you for joining, and uh, in the meantime, keep listening, keep learning, and always take care of yourselves and each other.